All right, we are accepting calls this hour from time travelers only. If you have traveled in time or you are presently a traveler to this time, then we want to hear from you. Otherwise, the phone lines are closed, but for that group, they are certainly open. Uh, with that in mind, uh, top of the morning to you on the wild card line. You are on the air. Hello. Hello. Questions for me before we get started. Uh, how did you first find out about my work? Ooh, Mr. Cremo, we should get into that. <laughs> we should get into that for 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 the show, you know. And uh, I'll okay. let you know exactly how I found out about your work. It's been a long time. Um, All right. Talk about it in just a second. Let me get started. All right, what's going on, everybody? How's everybody doing? This is the Infinite Fringe, live on Truth Frequency Radio on iHeartRadio on hackerhameen.podbeam.com and theinfinitefringe.podbeam.com. Tune in radio and anywhere else you can hear my voice. And if you want to see the footage of this conversation, just head on over to Iconic. It'll be over there uh, shortly, and you know where to find that. My name is Billy Ray Valentine. Greetings and blessings to all of you. It's a pleasure to be here today, and I have uh, one, of, one of those guests that, that you have on a list that you have to check off and you have to get on your show. Otherwise, things just are not complete, okay? Uh, he, you know, we were talking off the air and, uh, and he asked me, how did you find out about my work? Well, you know, years and years ago, listening to Coast to Coast AM, Mr. Michael Cremo came on the air and uh, really blew my mind about a couple of things and I picked up a few of the books and uh, always followed his work uh, and this was probably back in uh, I don't know 2005 Mr. Cremo uh, Mr. Michael Cremo is here the legendary Michael Cremo I don't I mean he doesn't need my uh, <laughs> he doesn't need my introduction but but here he got it anyway Mr. Michael Cremo welcome to the infinite fringe how are you it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on thank you for making the time what's going on it it's an honor for me uh, as well. You know, you were talking about uh, you know hearing hearing me on coast to coast. Right. You know, once I was uh, a couple couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at the geology department of the University of Oklahoma in Norman, and you know the the person who invited me was a professor, a full time professor of geology there. You know, just appeared to be a, a standard academic and you know he he had arranged for me to come and speak to the students and professors the graduate students and professors of the school of geology there i kind of wondered why did you in, in, invite me you know i'm such a radical guy i got a reputation and you know, I, I couldn't figure it out and he said, well, I heard you on coast to coast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so this very straight looking uh, professor of geology at a big university, you know, at, at, at night, you know, he's listening to coast to coast about right. the UFOs and the alternative science and stuff like that. It's pretty amazing. And, and for, forbidden archaeology. You know, and uh, those yeah. are some of my favorite shows. I remember staying up late to listen to them. And uh, I couldn't do that after a while. So I got a subscription. And uh, every time you came on, I made it a, uh, I made it a point to listen. Um, regardless, Mr. Cremo, I just want to know what you've been up to. What have you been doing? And, uh, you know, it's, uh, are you still actively uh, researching and, and, uh, and putting out material? Yeah, actually, I I am. Uh, of course, I'm grounded, you know, because right. of the COVID. And I mean, normally, I mean, I would have actually I did go to India earlier mm. 
this year. Uh, and actually, I came back to the United States in February just before they stopped all the international travel, you know, because of the COVID thing. If uh, that hadn't have happened, well, I I got back, got back to the States and er everything was fine, but now I can't go anywhere really. So, uh, I mean, if, if the COVID hadn't happened, I would have gone this summer to a meeting of the European Association of Archaeologists that was going to be held in Budapest. I would have gone to a meeting of the World Archaeological Congress to present a paper there uh, in early fall. You know, I, I would have been doing uh, all kinds of things. But in, in one sense, you know, kind of being on lockdown, being grounded, it's kind of given me time to take up some writing projects that I've been meaning to finish. But you know, sometimes if you're just going around and doing stuff, you, you kind of put it on the back burner. So it gave me a chance to finish the manuscript for my next book, which, uh, which I'm calling um, Extreme Human Antiquity. Mm. You know, and how, how, how's the reception when you go to these conferences and present, you know, when, when well, you're talking about extreme hum, human antiquity and... Uh, you know, de-evolution of mankind and all this other stuff. How, how, how do they take that? Well, it, it's kind of interesting because the archaeologists and other researchers in that area, they're not all monolithic. I, I kind of break them down into three groups. There's one that I call the fundamentalist materialist. And, you know, they, they think, you know, they've got all the answers and Nobody else can say anything. And, you know, they don't like what I say. They don't want anybody else to hear it either. You know, so, I mean, sometimes people like this, I'll get a a lecture scheduled in a university and they'll try to get it canceled and all of that. So that's one group. There's another group of scientists, archaeologists, and others who are more or less committed to the standard theories, but they're different from the other group in that they're open-minded. They're kind of operating on a scientific basis rather than a, uh, an ideological basis. And they're willing to listen to an alternative. And I think that's important because if ideas are going to change the first thing is people have to be willing to listen to different ideas and then among that group there's a group that actually agree with me and of course they're small in number but you know sometimes that's the way it is well you know back back in the day uh, all, all the people that had, uh, you know, these radical ideas were small in number. And then it turns out to be that they were more right than people gave them credit for, you know, and um, that's how things grow. That's how things change. Right. That's how we, we uh, get a glimpse as to what, you know, our past looked like. How old in, in your opinion, do you think the human race is? Uh, I think it goes all the way back to the very beginnings of the history of life on earth. Because ultimately, I, I, I don't think we're a cosmic accident right. in an accidental universe. I think the universe has a, a purpose, and it's an educational purpose. It's to allow conscious beings to understand who they really are and where they should be going. And this place that we're in now, which... I call the material world is not the original home of conscious, intelligent, personal, individual beings. We, we come from a different level of reality, not from the world of matter, but from the world of consciousness, pure consciousness is what I call it sometimes. So uh, because it has a purpose, you know, the, 
the ability to fulfill that purpose has to be there from the beginning. And the purpose is fulfilled in the human form of life. And the cat or the dog is not going to understand these things. Yeah. But in the human form of life, we can appreciate and understand, okay, I'm conscious. Where did that consciousness come from? You know, if I weren't conscious, you weren't conscious, your listeners weren't conscious, we wouldn't be having this dialogue. So where does that come from? It's one of the big questions people have always had. I kind of look at it like, you know, if we put up a space station, we put up the space station and then we don't just wait, you know, for the chemicals in the space station to maybe form some single cell creature that may evolve into a human being who could be an astronaut. And you make the space station because you've got astronauts, you want to put them in there. You know, so what's the universe here for? I, I think it's here for a purpose. We're part of that purpose. We've been around since the beginning. Right, right. Um, I, I think there's definitely, that's uh, definitely possible. I'm, uh, I'm definitely open to the ideas, right? I, I feel, as you do, you know, that, you know, we're not exactly... We're not fulfilling our purpose on this. At least we don't know what our purpose on this planet is anymore. And, and I subscribe to the de-evolution of humankind idea. And I want to talk about that just a little bit moving forward. But uh, just, just for those people that may not know that are listening today, I want you to give us a little bit of, you know, a, a peek behind the curtain as to what made Michael Cremo walk down this aisle, right? Walk down this road. What was the piece of evidence that that turned you, that you were like, okay, something's up here. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I think a lot of it has to do with the way I was raised. My father was a military intelligence officer who's in the Air Force and who's an officer in the Air Force. And our family moved around a lot, lived in Europe, lived in other places. So, I got exposed to a lot of different ideas. And plus, I was growing up among people involved in the intelligence services, uh, the diplomatic service. And I could see there's something called hidden knowledge. I mean, things are going on in the world and the government and other aspects of life that people, the general public, just is not aware of. So... I think that kind of experience as I was growing up influenced how I look at things. I, I always kind of understood not to take, you know, what's being publicly presented as the whole truth. So um, eventually, you know, I began to appreciate the writings of different ancient wisdom traditions from many different countries, India, Egyptian. And they all seem to be talking about a very ancient human presence on this earth. So I began to wonder about that. Is that just some fantasy or mythology that these ancient people had? Or is there maybe some factual basis for that idea that humans have been around for a long, long time? So I started looking into the history of archaeology. Now, you're not going to find any evidence in the current textbooks that humans have been around for a long, long time. You're just going to see the evidence that supports the now dominant theory that humans have only been around for 200,000, 300,000 years. Before that, there were no humans like us, ape men maybe, apes and monkeys, sure, but no humans. So I, I, I said, okay, I, I'm going to go beyond the textbooks here. I'm going to start digging into the original records, the original reports published by archaeologists from the time of Charles Darwin up to the present. When I started doing that, I saw there were many reports of archaeologists finding human bones, human artifacts, human footprints, 
millions, tens of millions, even hundreds of millions of years old. And then one report led to another. And you know, I began to think, well, why is it that these reports for evidence for extreme human antiquity are there in the original scientific reports, but they're not in today's textbooks? And I concluded there was some process of knowledge filtration going on in the world of science. So anyways, I put together all these reports in a book called Forbidden Archaeology. And then when that happened, when that was released onto the world, then you know, I started getting invitations to speak on coast to coast. And I, I started going and giving lectures to all kinds of people, but also to at universities, to students, at scientific conferences, to scientists. So that's how I kind of got into this whole thing. Fantastic. You know, I, I remember, like I said before, hearing you on Coast to Coast and talking about this and completely blown away. I had suspicions of my own, right? But not necessarily anyone, any suspicions based in science, right? It's just a hunch. Like, I don't, I don't know about this, you know, and uh, you came along and it, it resonated with me. Um, I, I feel as you do. I, I feel like we've been around for a long, long time. And uh, either the establishment is ignorant to it or they're ignoring uh, evidence on purpose. And, and we can get into, I mean, I think I know where you go, where you, uh, where you lie on that side of the argument, but we can definitely talk about it. Um, as far as human de-evolution goes, explain that to me. I want to know where you're coming from with it. Um, and then I'll tell you what I think about it. And you can, you can go ahead and dissect that. Go ahead, sir. Okay. So I use the word devolution in a couple of sense, senses. One is that time goes on on a cyclical basis. And during the various cycles of time, things change, the conditions change. You know, like we start out each year spring, and then comes summer, things get warmer, and then comes the fall, things starting getting a little cooler, then winter, snow and ice in some places. Not here in LA where I live, but it gets a little cool sometimes. And if you want snow, you can go up in the mountains, not too far away. But uh, um, so during the different cycles of time, conditions are different. And according to many of the ancient wisdom traditions, like uh, the, I get a lot of inspiration from the ancient wisdom tradition that comes out of India. And you know, they have the concept of the yugas. They're like seasons. There are four of them. There's kind of like a golden age. It's called the Satya Yuga. Then you know, when things are very nice for the humans that are living on this planet, everyone's peaceful. Everybody's very living very naturally and happily and no big divisions, no big quarrels or anything. But things socially begin to devolve in the next age it's like the social divisions start coming in and competition and things like that things become a little more complicated you could say the the good qualities go down by 25 percent so it's kind of like devolving uh, the next age the third age called the Dwapara Yuga, things get a little worse. And then finally, we come to the fourth age, which according to the Vedic cosmological calendar we entered into about 5,000 years ago, things get really bad. It's considered to be an age of ever-increasing social and environmental disturbance. Uh, not just because it's going to rain, doesn't mean you have to get wet. You know, you can shelter yourself <laughs> and shelter other people. But uh, I think we kind of see it happening in a lot of ways. 
but uh, uh, so that's one sense of devolution. But then the cycle starts again, you know, just like every year. There's winter, but then there's spring. Summer, fall, winter, spring. It goes around and around and around. Another way I use the word devolution is that I see the conscious individual self as different than the bodily vehicle it, uh, it, it's currently occupying. You know, this vehicle, this body comes into existence at a certain point in time, goes through all kinds of changes, but I'm the same person. And finally, it'll disappear at some point. And as a conscious individual person, I will go on beyond this body. So I would say that originally I existed on some level of pure consciousness beyond time, no past, no future, just an eternal present. And somehow I am not in that position now. So as a conscious individual being, I've devolved from some original position, and now I've entered the world of matter, and I'm going to return some way. So I've devolved from an original position of pure consciousness. I'm going to re-evolve in the course of reincarnation, going from one body to another, getting educated in and the real truth about my existence, the existence of the universe, and where I am and where I should be going, like that. That's incredible. Um, uh, the Four Seasons thing uh, I hadn't heard of before, and it makes perfect sense. Um, when I think of, uh, of de-evolution, and I want to know if you subscribe to this or not. If you don't, that's fine. Just go ahead and tell me why you don't. Uh, as far as uh, the human presence on this planet, right? So uh, we, we're speaking about, we spoke about the, you know, how in a spiritual sense, you know, we definitely devolved to come into the world of matter and do what it is we do here, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, a lower state of being, maybe a different vibration that's lower or something like that. But as far as humans go on this planet, in your opinion, was there ever a time where humans were, more than what they are now, as far as what we were able to do and how we were able, we were able to dominate our surroundings. You know, um, I don't want to say superpowers, but did we, are we capable of more? And we just devolved and now we're here thinking that we're not capable of that sort of stuff. No, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there have been times in the past during these different cycles of time when conditions have been such that humans had been able to do uh, things that were not so so much able to do today, you know, for example, in, in terms of communication, apparently in the past, you know, if we study the records of these different ancient wisdom traditions people were able to communicate in ways that we normally don't do today, such as telepathic communication. Uh, they may have had powers that we would consider to be paranormal powers. You know, the ability to uh, hear and see things at a distance. And I mean, even today, there are some people, you know, the remote viewing people and others who are able to manifest these powers. So apparently it's an ability that we all have, but, you know, some people, maybe today only a few people are able to manifest it. Previous ages, lots, lots of people were able to do these things. As a matter of fact, a lot of our modern technology may just be our attempt to reproduce in you know, our computers and 
smartphones and all of that abilities that people once had naturally, but now they've kind of been channeled into these mechanical devices that companies build and get us to accept and we channel everything through there and it's good for them financially and good for governments, whatever, to control people and keep them entangled in being good producers and consumers of material things. So yeah, I, so, I agree with that 100%. I, I, um, I talk about it in a sense of a bootleg, right? We were recreating creation for some reason because uh, we forgot how to use certain things and uh, yeah. we're relying on this technology in order to get it done. Um, yeah. Last thoughts on that. If Just like we're doing right now. Right, exactly. Just like we're doing right now. <laughs> right. And I, I wouldn't know how to communicate with you otherwise, but I'm pretty sure I can <laughs> if that makes any sense, I'm sure it does to maybe, you. Maybe, maybe we're also doing that. <clears throat> what was that, sir? I yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. I think we do feel oh. we're communicating with someone, you know, at a distance. Right. You may think you, you suddenly may find yourself thinking of someone who's dear to you, who, but who's not around right now. And you might feel some, some kind of connection. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I think because we're not accustomed to, to really tune into that and fully take advantage of it, we may miss it. Right. Yeah, but, you know, so I, I, I definitely think such things are are possible. We may be connected with each other and communicating with each other in all kinds of different ways. Agreed. Um, <laughs> I want to get into a little bit of, of uh, evidence, right? If there's any new evidence that you've come across of uh, ancient human antiquity, we'd love to hear it. And uh, if there's not, yeah. re the, the, the oldies but goodies are always uh, welcomed here. So if, uh, if you just want to sprinkle us with a little bit of that so the audience can get familiar with what it is that you've uncovered? Well, you know, I, I uncover different things and people sometimes send, send me reports of different things. Um, you know, you've got, you know, your scientifically reported evidence and then you've got evidence that's maybe not scientifically reported, but you know, kind of among the, um, recent uh, scientifically reported evidence uh, and is, you know, re recently they discovered in Africa, I think it was, uh, what they regarded as stone tools of a very advanced type that they previously attributed only to humans like us. These were uh, tools that look like the points of a harpoon, mm. you know, like, like a harpoon will have, uh, you know, like, like a point, but it'll have little uh, flanges coming off it, you know, so when it goes into an animal, you know, it doesn't pull out, yeah, right, right. you know, like if ancient hunters were hunting an animal. So they thought, well, that's that's something that was made only by Homo sapiens, but it was found in a geological formation eight hundred thousand years old. Wow! So, so the tendency of the the modern archaeologists is to say, okay, humans like us are less than. 300,000 years old. I think that's about the oldest Homo sapiens they claim to have found these days. So you've got this uh, harpoon point, and who made that? You have to be pretty intelligent to make something like that. They thought only Homo sapiens did it. So they've got it at 800,000 years. What I would do is say, hey, you've got evidence that humans like us 
yeah. were around 800,000 years ago. But they don't do that. They say, well, humans like us didn't exist at that time. Uh, it must have been some human ancestor like Homo erectus. That's who was around 800,000 years ago. So they do like that. You know, they say, all right, you know, wow, maybe Homo erectus was smarter than we thought. Right, right, right. So, so it's, it's kind of like how this knowledge filtration process operates. You know, they find, you know, like, you can say, well, what about human bones? Well, another fairly recent case, past couple of years, was uh, in Africa at a place called uh, Ulduvai Gorge, where a lot of important discoveries have been made. Some scientists were, archaeologists were doing an excavation. They found a finger bone. Actually, it's this bone here and the mm -hmm. little finger. But, uh, and they, you know, they carefully studied this bone. It was found in layers of rock, 1,870,000 years old. And they carefully measured it. And then they compared the measurements to the measurements of the same bone in various species of apes, you know, you know, chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans. And they also compared it to the same finger bone in different species of ape men like Australopithecus, Homo erectus. And they also compared it with the same finger bones in among uh, modern homo sapiens, people like us. And they found it fit in the modern human group. But what did they say in their report? They said, this finger bone that we found most closely resembles that of modern homo sapiens, but we can't call it <laughs> modern homo sapiens yeah. because humans like us didn't exist 1,800,000 years ago. So they, they do things like that. I mean, th these discoveries keep coming up, but you know, they, they look at it, it's kind of staring them right in the face. It's human, it's found, it's 1,800,000 years old. Insanity. It's evidence for humans. They go, no, no. Wow. So sometimes, you know, it it, it takes because they they've just gone through their education system. You know, they've always been told this is what the truth is. This is what it is. You may have evidence that directly contradicts what they've been told, but they don't see it like that. Say, okay, well, humans like us didn't exist. Uh, must be you know some kind of ape man that had bones just like ours right so it's explained away yeah um uh with the conventional knowledge right like wherever it fits that that's how it's explained away well it couldn't have been human because humans was you know 300,000 or, or or whatever and they just attributed to whatever was there at the time according to conventional knowledge that's what you're saying yeah it's kind of like, you know, there's a psychological experiment that was done where, you know, the, the psychologists, they took a deck of cards and they changed some of the cards in the deck, in the, like a normal deck. Mm. Like you take a, a six of hearts, normally it'd be red, turned it black, <laughs> you know, numbers and shapes, but... Right black so they changed maybe you know a few cards in the deck and they would show people the cards one after another and ask them to identify them oh that's the jack of hearts that's the four of spades then they show them the the six of hearts colored black they go look at it you know like oh six of spades you know, they're looking right at it. They go six of spades because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what they're conditioned to see. Man. And uh, only a very few people, like 99% of them just 
six of spades. So you know, just maybe one person out of a hundred will go, well, now, wait a minute. Let, let me, <laughs> let me look at that. Something's it's going on here. You know, it like, certainly uh, wouldn't have been me, me, Mr. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'd be amongst the 99. You know, you know your cards, right? <laughs> I'd be right amongst the 99. Like, yeah. Six of spades. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know what? Um, so, you know, there's, there's a, I think it's Quebec Tepe, right? I think that's the that's the pronunciation. Yeah, right? I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, yeah. But if 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 man, right? Uh, just to play a devil's advocate, I'm on your side. I believe you. But just to play, uh, you uh, can be against me I if know, you want I'm, to. I'm, you know, I'm like I don't claim yeah. to have any monopoly. Uh, I mean, I I would definitely be against you, but I, I I'm not. So <laughs> so I respect I respect the right of each individual right, to decide right. whether or not he wants to agree with Michael Cremo. Absolutely. I mean, that's the way we get ahead, right? We have a you know a discussion and dialogue, and and we take the yeah to move forward. So 100, I understand. But uh, let's say you know if if man was around 800,000 years ago or a million years ago, you know. You know, if, if if it's like you and me, you know, if if where are the, the where are where is the the cities? Where where are they? Right from from a million years ago and all this other stuff. Like how how do we reconcile that idea? Um, yeah, it's a very very interesting question, and it's come up among people who are into this whole climate change thing. You know, some uh. some scientists have wondered, okay, what if the human race just disappeared from this planet today. How long would it take, you know, to for the planet to go back to a more natural state? We got all these cities, all this technology, airplanes, automobiles, computers, all this stuff. What would happen? So they, you know, so a group of scientists got together and. Yeah, there's been some documentaries and books published on these things. I think there was one documentary on the National Geographic Channel or Discovery Channel or one of them called World Without Us. Right. And the scientists kind of determined that if you humans just vanished, then in our cities, like, you know, the plants would start taking over. Yeah, and the and the skyscrapers, you know, they've got uh, most of them are built on iron frames, frames and concrete, and they say, okay, after some time, that iron, that steel, is going to corrode. It's going to rust. You know, so and the buildings will collapse. You know, the concrete will decay. The Forest fires will go through, earthquakes, tsunamis, tidal waves, all kinds of stuff happens. So after a few thousand years, I mean, like a lot of our stuff, we think it's very solid, but it doesn't last very long over periods of geological time. So that um, after you know, 40 or 50,000 years of all this, there'd hardly be anything left unless you were really specifically looking for it. You know, it's, uh, and I've read scientific studies where they've talked about this. I mean, some scientists, regular scientists, you know, they've said, well, what if on earth, 400 million years ago, there was some civilization like ours. What would we see today that would be left? And they said, practically nothing. The only thing they said is you could start looking for, you know, taking soil samples and seeing if you can find traces of compounds that don't normally exist in nature. So it's um, the fossil record is not the complete story, which is why sometimes we have to take other types of knowledge about the past, you know, what's in the different ancient wisdom traditions that's come down to us today. 
so you you can you can find some things like in my book Forbidden Archaeology I talked about a case from the 19th century where at a place called Lawn Springs in Illinois somebody was drilling a well for water an artesian well and the drilling went down to about 120 feet and from the 120 feet level the the drill and pump you know pulled up uh, a coin like object it was a copper coin looked like wow. a copper coin about you know this big with uh, a human figure on it and a script in some unknown language and you know we kind of at, we gave the drilling record to the state geologist of Illinois and asked him, how old is the level at 120 feet? We didn't tell him what was found there, because if you do that, then they throw your letter away. <laughs> right, right. Said, okay. But no, they said, okay, that, that level is about uh, 200,000 years, something like that. Now, if you've got a coin, that that means there's some kind of economy, de- political system, some de- some kind of developed civilization. Right. And at other places, right around there, you know, there were found what appeared to be remains of uh, wooden ships with <laughs> brass rings on some of the fittings and stuff like that. So. You know, you, you do sometimes find some hints of more advanced civilizations right. in the distant past. Yeah, echoes of a distant past, right? I mean, it's yeah. fantastic. It's it's extraordinary uh, where we find ourselves and uh, the history of this place, right? We got to keep digging. We got to keep looking. Otherwise, we're never going to find out. And um, right now, I think the only thing that... that uh, that is true is that we have no idea, right? We have no idea. So we got to keep digging. We have to keep our minds open and try to figure out exactly what it is that's going on. Have you ever been over to uh, Quiblecki Tepe? Uh, I have not. Uh-huh. Uh, basically there they found kind of like stone columns with intricately carved figures and they're arranged kind of like a Stonehenge pattern, you know, in a circle, I guess. And uh, basically, the researchers who are involved in, in that, you know, people like Robert Schock and others are, you know, Graham Hancock and other people like that from the alternative history right. and alternative archaeology point of view. Mostly they're interested in, in the question of the origin of civilization because the Gobekli Tepe site in what's Turkey now uh, is about 13,000 years old and the normal standard view is that 13,000 years ago people they were human but they were living uh as hunter-gatherers. They didn't have villages. They were just kind of wandering around in little family groups through the landscape and, you know, taking whatever they can. What, you know, they find maybe some fish here and some fruit over here and whatever. You know, they're just kind of wandering around, no settled life, no houses, no farming, no domestic animals like cows or chickens or whatever. So to find, you know, at because the, normal, the normal view is maybe about 10,000 years ago, the very first village settlements were made. You know, so to have this evidence for uh, a lab, some elaborate stone structures with very detailed carvings of animals and other things on them just doesn't fit the standard picture. In my work, I'm concerned with 
the deep history of the human race, right, right, you know, right. going back millions and millions of years. So yeah. it's uh, I'm aware of kind of the work that's been done at Gobekli Tepe. I think it lends a little bit of credence to your work, right? Yeah, in, yeah, in, it does. In my opinion, um, it's, you know, I think we can safely say that that uh, hypothesis that they had come up with, that it was 10,000 years when we started farming or or having little farm-like, you know, establishments that's mm-hmm. just been shattered at this point, right? I mean, we can continue yeah. to to subscribe to it if we want, but but there's a whole freaking, uh, you know, Quebec Tepe site over there that, that, has uh you know like you said like it's it's an elaborate architectural uh site with uh carvings and a ton of other stuff and and they haven't even uncovered the majority of it you know so th- this is something we need to keep an eye on so well, in the recently of- recent oh, recently just just on, on that point before we go to something else you're good mm-hmm. uh, Take your time. they've discovered another site like that nearby you know, 20, within 20 miles, I think it is. Another site like that with massive stone monumental structures that's even older. You know, wow. so it's, it, there, Gobeke Teple may be just the beginning. Wow, that's insanity. I got to look that up and, and take a look. Now, what I want to do here in the remaining minutes that we have left, Mr. Cremo, uh, in the interest of time, I, I want you to give us a little bit and uh, and talk about your new book that you've been writing and, and, and let us know how that's going and when, when we should expect it to come out. What's it about, the whole deal, if you would? Go ahead. Yes. Well, the, the, you know, my book, Forbidden Archaeology, was published in 1993. So that's a long time ago. And since then, a lot of new information came to my attention, new cases, uh, some updates on some of the original cases. So I, I, I wanted to put all that together in this new book. And as I was mentioned to you in the beginning, because of you know, being grounded, not able to travel around so much because of the COVID thing, the pandemic, Uh, I was able to finish the manuscript for that, and I would expect it to be out sometime in 2021, kind of shooting for maybe early summer. Fantastic. What should we expect? like, like, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's it about? I mean, I know you have, it's like, is it an update to, to hidden archaeology or is it something different altogether? No, it's, uh, it's an update. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like more evidence for extreme human antiquity. Wow. New cases. Fantastic. That, that have come to my attention. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, when that's ready to come out, I'll, I'll have some more to say about it. You know, like I said, I, I just finished the manuscript and somebody's proofreading it. And, you know, then it'll go into the production phase and hopefully it'll be ready to go by the summer. Well, we're going to be anxiously looking forward to the book, sir. And uh, we thank you for all your work, everything you've done for such a long time. And uh, and you're still trucking. You're not letting anything stop you, which is fantastic. We, we uh, commend you for it. Excellent stuff. You know, I, if, I'm, I mean, who's not interested in, in stuff like this, right? Who, who does not want to know about it? I don't know anybody that doesn't. So I'm very excited to have you. Thank you for the talk. Please uh, take some time. Let everybody know where they can find you, where they can buy your books, whatever you want to plug. Oh, oh, great. Thanks, Billy Ray. Um, yeah, first stop is my website, mcremo.com, m-c-r-e-m-o.com. And we've got some special offer now. If people get my latest public published book, My Science, My Religion, they'll also have an opportunity. If they get it from my website, they'll have an opportunity to receive, if they want it, a free copy of Bhagavad Gita, oh. which is one of the works from India that's very much inspired many aspects of my work so if they visit 
the, the website, they can see all of my books and upcoming interviews and things like that. And uh, also take advantage of that special offer if they'd like to do it. Fantastic, Mr. Cremo. Um, thank you for coming on the Infinite Fringe. I had a great time. Um, and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime when your book is out. We can, we can have you back and, and to try to let everybody know that it's out so they can go pick it up. Hold on for just great. one second. Do not hang up. My name is Billy Ray Valentine. This is the Infinite Fringe. And uh, we're coming close to the end of the year. I want everybody to be safe. Take it easy. Um, and, you know, hug your neighbor or you know, your family members and tell them you love them. That whole deal. Sounds uh, a sappy, but it's true. Make sure you do all that, okay? My name is Billy Ray Valentine. Like, like I said before, we're getting out of here. It's the Infinite Fringe. Take it easy, guys. Bye-bye. Great.